Thanks, Bill. If you'd like to uh, open your Bibles up to First Samuel, today we're looking at uh, verse, uh, chapters uh, one. Uh, sorry, chapters four through seven. So uh, we're continuing on in our series that we've uh, doing called the Warrior Prophet and looking at the life of Samuel. Over the last couple of weeks, um, we've had uh, Anne spoke about Hannah, which is in chapters one and two, and then Danny uh, spoke about. Uh, Samuel, when he became, uh, or when Hannah took him to be with the priest Eli, and he, he trained, and that was at the age of three. Um, one of the things that both um, Danny and Anne emphasised was that at this time in the life of the Israel people, it was a very dark time. It was coming out of the end of the, what we call the Judges, the book of the Judges, and Samuel was the last judge. And it was very dark and very messy. And it's against this backdrop that um, we have Hannah. And Anne used a a phrase which I I picked up on, which I thought was really good. You know, before a king, there was a prophet, which was Samuel. And before a prophet, there was a mother. And Anne did a beautiful job of unpackaging who Hannah was and how that she cried out to the Lord. And another phrase that Anne said really stood out for her as she was reading this was that uh, Hannah stood up and she cried out to God. <clears throat> and, uh, and she realised that God is what she needed. Not a husband, um, all these other things around her. It was God that she needed in her time. And then Danny... <clears throat> He picked up a phrase that said, Meanwhile, Samuel served the Lord. So in the backdrop to all of this mess, this dark time, we've got this little child from the age of three going, Meanwhile, he served the Lord. And he continued to do that. And he moves from being a priest to a prophet in that time. And when we know the story that's very uh, well known about um, God calling out to Samuel, 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 you know, and, he, and he gives him a prophecy about what will happen to Eli and his family. And uh, so he moves from this priest to a prophet. One of the things that we can take away from this, these first couple of chapters is that our circumstances are never bigger than God. Our circumstances are never bigger than God. And that God speaks according to his purposes. And importantly, God has a plan. He's working his plan out all the time. And that, as Anne pointed out to us, you know, this plan at this point in time is that David is going to be announced as the king. And that from David... We have this lineage right through to Jesus. And God has this plan. He has things in hand. So uh, we're going to look at chapters 4 through 7. As I was pre- uh, so to do, before we do that, I'd just like to pray. Father, we just want to commit this time to you. And these uh, four chapters that we'll briefly look at this morning... Help us to be people that are willing to receive it, that have soft hearts, and that we might learn from these things as well. And Lord, we just uh, have great comfort that you are in control, I pray in Jesus' name. 
One of the things that, uh, as I was preparing, as uh, I picked up a couple of verses that uh, spoke of Samuel, and uh, Psalm 99, verse 6 said this, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord and he answered them. And then in Jeremiah 15, 1, Jeremiah is writing this down. And the Lord said to me, even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to these people. Samuel was an amazing person. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. You know, some years ago, I attended a conference in Asia. And... Uh, during the conference, we would go off to workshops during the day. And one day, we were, uh, I went off with about 20, 30 other people and we were sitting in a room that was about 10 stories up. And in the middle of what was going on, you could tell everybody started sensing something, but they couldn't tell what it was. And we were all looking around the room, trying to work out what was going on. And then it dawned on us there was a tremor happening and the whole building was going like this and we were 10 stories up and you could just had this motion happening and it was quite, as you imagine, quite unnerving and unsettling. I've got to say, when I look at Samuel's life and read these stories, spiritually, I feel a bit uneasy and unsettled. And particularly around the area of my life is what do I do when troubles and battles and issues come up? How do I actually approach them and tackle them? When I look at how Samuel dealt with them, and particularly how the Israelites dealt with them as well, I think, man, there's some things here for me to learn about uh, how I should respond when there's difficult times. The closing words of chapter 3, if you want to have a look at them, Uh, Verses 19 through 21 says this, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Now, many of us know the story of God going, Samuel, Samuel. Well, this word that says word is the Hebrew word dorbois, which means literally speak, utter. It is God is actually speaking to Samuel. And so when we go to the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, And Samuel's word came to all Israel. So Samuel is hearing God speak and then he is sending it out to all of Israel. Quite an amazing thing. If we read the last verse of chapter 7, 15, which encompasses what we're looking at today, it says, Samuel continued to judge over Israel all the days of his life. And so he was hearing God speak and he was sharing this out to all of Israel, all the days of his life. When we move into chapter 8, we see that Samuel introduces a king, which we will look at next week. By chapter 25, and in fact from 8 through to 25, 
we just get some insights into Samuel's life as to what happened throughout his life. And one of the main things is he introduces a king. By chapter 25, Samuel passes away. But in this life, we have encapsulated this person who has been a priest, a judge, a prophet, and he's actually now about to introduce a king as well. A monarchy, actually. It's a change in the way the people worked, moving from theocracy, though God still is sovereign and overruling, they introduce a monarch into the, into the, to the Israel people. So it's with all this in mind that we'll just have a brief look at really there's four stories that happen throughout these four chapters. We haven't got time to read them all, but I will um, paraphrase them. But one of the things I want you to note, I'm going to read the opening verses of each of these chapters and you'll find that there is one common thing that we need to pay attention to. Now, the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. If we drop down to verse 3, it says, Let us bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh. Chapter 5, verse 1, After the Philistines had captured the Ark of God, they took it to Ebenezer, to Ashdod. Chapter 6, verse 1, when the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory for seven months, the Philistines called for the priest and the vine and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Chapter 7, verse 1, so the men of Kerith and Jerem came and took up the ark of the Lord. They took it to Abinadon's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. In these four chapters, in particular the first three of them, the ark is a central thing. The ark of the Lord is a central thing that is a part of this. And it's the backdrop in which we need to give consideration to what it is like for us when we face battles in our life. Because it's how the people treat it and use it that gives us an understanding. Um, The ark, just to refresh us, appears or spoken of first in Exodus 25 in verse 8 where God says have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them and the following chapters is this great list of things that uh, Moses had to instruct the people to do to prepare this sanctuary and the ark was part of it it wasn't this one this was in the Raiders of the Lost Ark there's a few um, and you can see Harrison Ford on the side there. Anyway, um, (laughs) there's lots of images, but they're only people's impressions of what it could look like. Um, But when when it finishes describing how the ark was to be made, God finishes by saying, I will meet you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. And he's talking about where those two cherubim are facing, and that's where God actually spoke from and resided. In the ark, it contained two tablets, which had the Ten Commandments on them. It also contained a pot of manna from from the Exodus, and it also contained Aaron's rod. It was a symbol, a symbol of the covenant that God makes with the people of Israel. And if we see in chapter 24 we see this uh, covenant spelt out. And, and the, importantly, what the people say in chapter 24, and w- 
you've got to have in mind that uh, Moses has got the, the tablets with all the commands written down on it and they say these words, we will do everything the Lord has said. Now, chapter 4 of First Samuel gives us an indication of how far away they are from that. First one says, now the Israelites went out to fight against the, Palestine, uh, the Philistines. And I'll just quickly paraphrase the rest of it. See, the Philistines, they deployed uh, their forces and went out to, to fight Israel. And they defeated Israel. And on that day, Israel lost 4,000 soldiers. So the elders said, why? They got together and they said, why did the Lord... Uh, bring defeat. So they have this quick response. They go, let us go and get the ark from Shiloh so it may go with us and that the ark may save us. And so they fought again with the Philistines and they were defeated again. And not only were they defeated, the ark was taken and captive. And not only that, 30,000 foot soldiers were wiped out on that day and included in those were Eli's sons a Benjamite ran back to Shiloh to inform them and when Eli heard the news of the ark and his sons he fell off his chair not only that when he fell off it broke his neck and he died when uh, Phineas that's one of Eli's sons wife heard that he not only had the ark been captive, that her father-in-law that had died, that her husband had been killed, she went into labour and gave birth to her son and then died because of the labour pains. And the child was left with the midwife and she named the child Echabod, which means the glory has gone. And so... <clears throat> The prophecy regarding Eli and his sons, which was only proclaimed in chapter 3, has already been fulfilled. There's some things we can take out of this, I think, things to keep in mind. One thing is the Israelites knew that their defeat was somehow related to the presence of God. And that's really important, I think, for us to consider when we are in trouble or having battles or just going through in life in general, that we are conscious, is God present? Are we, do we want him to be present in this situation? The problem was they didn't go about trying to deal with that the right way. So what they did is they didn't cry out, not like Hannah, they didn't cry out to God. Instead, they go... What can we do? Let's go grab the ark, which wasn't the right thing to do at all. And what it shows actually is that they've started to be influenced by the other gods and other beliefs that they were actually following at the time, the Baals and the Ashods. And what they had come to think was that in the image or the symbol, the god had to go wherever it went. Um, that the deity itself identifies with the symbol and therefore it has to go. 
But it's not a truth. It's not right. God chooses where he goes. And this is the thing that they did not get right. And so an application for us is when we are faced with battles or challenges is that we must be careful that we don't try to work it out ourselves, that we need to depend on God, that we don't depend on our understanding or our strength. Don't try to use God to fix your plans. (laughs) You know, Isaiah 55, 8 to 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways... Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has a plan in mind and has a better understanding of what needs to, uh, needs to happen. And so it's important that we cry out to God. Chapters 5 and 6 actually talk about what happened to the ark once it was captured and taken into the, the Philistine uh, land. And it says, After the Philistines had captured the ark, they took it to Emzanar, from Emzanar to Ashod. And they carried the ark into Dagon's temple, temple and set it beside Dagon. So this is their God. And this is... So a bit of a paraphrase here. The next day, after they put it in there, they went in, and here's their God face down on the ground. And so they pick it up and prop it up, which I think is quite funny, you know, that you have to prop up your God. The next day they go back in and again their God is face down on the ground, but this time its head is broken off and its hands are broken off. And it says that the Lord's hand was heavy against the people of Ashdod. He brought devastation upon them and afflicted them with tumours. So they called together all the rulers and there was five rulers of, of the Philistine people at that time and they discussed it and they decided, and I'm thinking you were going, I hope I'm not this town, but we're going to move it on to another town. And so they did that. And they, this cycle repeated several times to Gath and Akron as well. And the same thing happened And then the closing verse in chapter 5 says this, those who did not die were inflicted with tumours and the outcry of the cities went up to heaven. In chapter 6, the Philistines are starting to come to their senses and so they call their diviners and their priests together and say, how do we send it back? How are we going to send this back to the Israelites? And so they give them some instructions and the people send the ark back based on the instructions. It went on a cart with a chest holding five gold rats which represented the five uh, leaders of the uh, Philistines and five gold tumours as well which represented the towns they oversaw. Also the rats and the tumours represented the devastation, what caused the devastation. They put it on a cart which was being pulled by two cows who had just calved and had never been yoked and the calves were penned up and they watched to see where the cart would go. It went straight to Beth Shemesh which is a, one of the Israelite towns and this was a sign 
that the Lord had actually brought this great disaster on them. It stopped beside a large rock in the field of Joshua. The people of Beth Shemesh rejoiced at the sight of the ark returning. When the cart came to a stop, they grabbed it, they chopped up the cart, they put a, created a fire and they sacrificed the cows. The five Philistine rulers were watching on and they saw all this happening. But God struck down 70 men, Israelites, as well. This a process that's going on here to reorientate the people back to God. And the reason he struck down 70 of them was because they'd mistreated the ark as well. They'd looked into the ark and they shouldn't have done that. And so the ark then was returned uh, to Kirith Jerem and it was stayed there for some time. <clears throat> you know, the application I think here is in terms of how we should face our challenges and battles and that is that to remember that God doesn't need me to win. He's at work. He is present. But what he does need is a, for me to have a soft heart. And it was interesting in verse 6 of chapter 6, even though they could have been as wayward as ever, <laughs> one thing that the, uh, the priests and the diviners said to the people was, why do you harden your hearts like the Pharaoh and the Egyptians did? Obviously, the stories of what happened to the Israelites had been passed out through the region. And that the people couldn't see it was their hard hearts towards God that was bringing this to, upon them. So I think it's important for us to remember that God doesn't need us to win, but he does need us to have soft hearts. In Ezekiel 36, 26, 27, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove, you from, your, I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's something that God's desires is for us to have a soft heart. And then we go to the final chapter, chapter 7. Samuel, he is the warrior. He's the one helping Israel trust in God again and trust in God in their battles. And so if we read at verse 2, if you want to look at this, it was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained in kirith Jerem, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought the Lord. And Samuel said to the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Asherahs, and commit yourselves to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. So the people did that. They put away their foreign, the idols of their foreign gods, and they served the Lord only. And Samuel grabs everybody, brings this great assembly together at Mesphah, and he says, I will intercede for you to the Lord. And the people confessed their sin, against the Lord. Now the Philistines, they didn't learn anything here. <laughs> they heard that all the people were gathered at Mesphah. And so they set out to attack them again. And in verse 8, 
We hear the people cry this time, and it's such a contrast to chapter 4. But here in chapter 7, verse 8, they say to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb, verse 9, and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel, and the Lord answered them. And that day, God caused a great thunder, a loud thunder, and it threw the Israelites into, sorry, the Philistines into such a panic that the Israelites were able to defeat them. And so Samuel continued then on as judge over Israel for all the days of his life. Application, I guess, is this. When we're faced with challenges and battles, things that might not be going our way in life, we should not stop crying out to the Lord. We need to trust God. We need to go to Him first. We need Him to lead us. And so this very familiar verse that we know from Proverbs that says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. It's such a contrast for only a couple of chapters earlier. This turnaround, this returning to God. How shall we fight our battles? Oh, and the other thing that we see here is that uh, what we would call a type or a casting, pictured or encapsulated in Samuel is what we see in Jesus, a priest, a prophet, a king. Samuel only was leading to a king, but Jesus, we have the king. And to fight our battles, we should never depend on our own understanding and strength, but try to, and not try to use God to fulfil our plans. Where we must remember that God doesn't need me to win, but he does need me to have a soft heart. That We shouldn't stop crying out to God. We should go to him first and let him lead us. There is another story in the background to this. And as I've mentioned, there is is an equivalent to the ark today. We've just shared communion together. In Luke 22, 20, it says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus, our priest, our prophet, our king, One thing I would really encourage you to do is to read Hebrews chapters 8 through 10. It captures this transition that happens between the new and the old. But also, it's like what uh, Samuel is experiencing. He's transitioning the people from where they were and bringing them back to God. Chapter 9, 11 through 12 says, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater, more perfect tabernacle that is not made of human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. This is something that is forever. In chapter 10, verses 20, 21, and this is why we should have confidence to cry out to God. 
Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way upon, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Earlier in chapters 8 and 9, it's, we hear that the sanctuary and the ark, they're just called copies or shadows. They are based on a pattern that is in heaven, that Jesus is superior. He's more superior than the old covenant, this new covenant, and that he, it is established on a better uh, promise. As remarkable as Samuel was, it is Jesus is who is our prophet, our priest and king. Returning to God is a process. And I think it's something that we all need to take check on. No matter our place in life, whether we're in difficult times or facing battles or whatever, but wherever we are, we should always be prepared to return to God, to cry out, to soften our hearts, confess our sins, rid ourselves of the things in our lives that offend God. I just want to add one more little thing to finish. <clears throat> While reading through these chapters in Hebrews, there's a little warning, something that's quite sobering. It's easy for us, I think, to read these stories of people of old and think, what were they thinking? What were they doing? But we have the same sort of heart. We too can fall to these, the same thing. And so in chapter 10 in Hebrews, verse 29, it says this, How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished? Now keep in mind of all the things that happened to the people who didn't follow God, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot who is treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the spirit of grace. They're very, very sobering words and something we should take careful uh, consideration about. I was wondering how do we illustrate this? And this might seem a bit graphic, but this is my Bible. <laughs> Imagine I put this here and I went like this. <laughs> I missed it. Imagine I stood all over this, trampled it. It anguishes me to think of it. But this is the warning for us. Don't think we're comfortable. Don't think we're right. How are we treating the very Son of God? Think about this word. Think about this book of words. It is actually just a collection of words unless we cry out to the one who wrote it. Just like Hannah, just like Samuel, that we cry out to the spirit that inspired them. Otherwise, we are just wielding a sword. It's not the sword of the Spirit. 
It's just a sword. They're just words. But unless we place ourselves right before God and allow his spirit to work, Lord, let us pray, if I can. Lord, I pray that we as your people would see life in light of this new covenant that you've put in place. That we would have hearts that are soft. Hearts that would not insult the very spirit of grace that has inspired the words that are in this Bible but have inspired all that you long us to be. We pray that we would not come to you with our agendas, but with your agenda in mind. That we would come to honour your son and that the work that you have planned to be done here on this earth. We pray in a practical way that when we take your word, the scriptures, that before we choose to correct that we would check for the plank in our own eyes. That we would, before we choose to rebuke, that we would be mindful that all scripture is inspired and that we would check, are we prepared to be measured by that as well? That we would know your inspiration in our lives, your very spirit, we pray. And we thank you, Lord, for the example of Samuel. And we look forward to the things that we will continue to learn as we read uh, more of him in the coming weeks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.